We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Welcome to Transformative Principle. In the world of education, no matter how confident, competent, or experienced you are, pressure is a part of every process. How you handle those challenges, changes, and problems will often determine how successful you are going to be. Michael Lysenblatt is a resilience expert who teaches people how to thrive in high-pressure environments by bouncing back from pressures, challenges, and setbacks. Drawing on his background in psychology, shiatsu therapy, and over 25 years of martial arts experience, Michael has helped countless companies and schools become pressure-proof and learn how to bounce back from the setbacks and challenges so they can outperform their competition. Michael demystifies what people need to do to become resilient to pressure in today's business world and keep a clear head when dealing with difficult, demanding, and stressful situations without burning themselves out. Michael, welcome to Transformative Principle. Oh, lovely to be here. I'm excited to talk with you today. We have certainly seen the need for being resilient in our lives, even before the pandemic, but the pandemic certainly made it even more so. We're going to talk today about being resilient school leaders. And can you start by giving us a brief definition of resilience? Because it seems like every different person you talk to has a different definition of what resilience means. Oh, so true. And I think this is a really important place to start because 
The term resilience has really evolved in the last 12 to 18 months. It's evolved again. It means something different because the environment we live in has changed. Now, I'll just take you back. The term resilience really was born out of survival. And I believe the term sort of came from looking at studies that looked at at risk children who came from families that were either disadvantaged, impoverished, or they had um, other challenges. And the children didn't get the education. They may have gotten poor poor uh, parenting they may have been abused in some way and still turned out to be relatively you know well adjusted people who contributed to society happy enough in what they were doing and they it was looked at to say if you can survive all of that you've got a resilience to you and so the term resilience was sort of born from survival to say if you can no matter what life throws at you if you can still survive all of that you're resilient and then what we found in more recent years, uh, the term resilience was more akin to capacity, how much you can take on. So we've moved from just survival to going, what can you tolerate and still be standing? And so we found this particularly through organizations um, and, and in um, roles that were high pressured. Those of those people that were able to take on lots and lots, spread themselves thin and still turn up the next day, you're resilient because you've got what it takes to stretch capacity and to still be standing here. And so resilience became akin with not just surviving, but also being able to do more. And I think what we found in the last particular 12 to 18 months as the world went upside down. We were experienced different types of pressures. We experienced lots of uncertainty. We experienced being out of control rather than in control. We experienced a lot more around sort of fears and we experienced uh, what it feels to be frustrated with having no outlet. And therefore, the resilience that was required from people, it wasn't just about survival or just capacity. What we actually looked at is how well can you adapt the way in which you worked and the way in which you did things so that you're still either number one, relevant, you're useful, and you are healthy in what you do uh, in response to the pressures around us. And so resilience took on the term of not just coping, not just having capacity, but also about best version of yourself. And the term thrive was starting to, ter- was starting to be thrown around. And it, when we talk about thriving, I mean, how do you bring, bring the best out of yourself when conditions are at their worst? And so resilience was a term for high performance. We were starting to hear lots of terms. You've probably heard enough of these terms called, you know, pivot and adjust and be adaptable. And they're all correct. We needed to do those things, but not just for the purpose of capacity, but for the purpose of high performance. We needed to see how we help people to become, to be able to lean into their work, to be able to reinvigorate that enthusiasm to be able to have initiative when all the conditions are at their worst. And so resilience became a tool for high performance, bringing the best out of people. And I like that phrase because we all like the idea of being high performers because it feels important and it feels like that's what great people do. But that also brings on an additional stress of being a high performer and being the best, even if you sometimes don't feel like you can because of your situation or because of your personality or your characteristics, how do you how do you help someone who feels like they can't be their best and can't be high performing because everything else has fallen down around them? 
Yeah, and I think we've got to really understand that high performance isn't a comparison game. It's a personal benchmark game. So I don't want to, when I look at high performance, I don't want to do it by looking around to go, what is everyone else doing and how do I do it better? How do I do more? How do I do it faster? Because you get into a comparison and that pathway leads simply to burnout because you simply can't do enough. You can't be enough to have it, to have it or to do everything. That's just the reality. I would be encouraged people to see high performance is a personal benchmark of number one, how do I produce my best quality work whilst being the best version of me, being the, the nice, engaged, um, enthusiastic person in harmony, and at the same time doing it in a way that's sustainable, that it's not just for now, it's actually over a sustainable career. And so high performance needs to, again, the definition of that needs to be expanded beyond do more, do faster, you know, do better, but rather best version of me whilst being nice, whilst being good, whilst being happy, whilst making that sustainable. And so you want to take the pressure off comparison, take the pressure off perfectionism because it's not about that, but just take it and make it more of a, of a growth as opposed to an outcome. Yeah, I really appreciate that because I that's one thing in school. Schools create a culture of comparison from the word go. You're always compared to your peers, how well you did compared to everybody else. The bell curve for grading is a perfect example of that, that if 25 out of 30 kids got a C, then it's impossible for more than five kids to get an A because you got to use that bell curve to straighten it out. Now, thankfully, most of that has gone away, but we, we often have this pressure to be perfect and to never make mistakes, which also is influenced by our education system. And being able to step away from perfectionism and comparison, I think, is a really healthy way to approach this idea of resilience. Some people think that resilience means that you that you keep going and are perfect even when everything's falling apart, and that's really not a healthy way to deal with that. What are some of the other what are some of the other misconceptions about resilience that are out there right now? Oh, this is a, a beautiful question because as you said, the perception of resilience is about being all, doing all, and being able to tolerate everything. But the reality is in today's world, for today's leaders, particularly in education, what we're seeing now is that the ones that are able to thrive, the best version, are the ones that are learning to be vulnerable. And the interesting thing here is that we need to see people, when I say vulnerable, I don't mean that we fall apart at the drop of a dime. I mean that we're honest. Uh, that we're transparent, uh, that we are able to look at our flaws and we're able to articulate them, not hide behind them, but we're able to articulate them and grow from them. We're able to see what needs to be fixed and not afraid to put up a hand to say, hey, I didn't do this to the best of my ability without fearing that I'm going to look bad or, uh, or feel less um, appreciated by others. That vulnerability is an incredible strength that leaders need to develop. You highlighted an interesting point also is that there is a paradox within the school and it's not, it's not a school's fault. It's just the system that we do need to grade students. We need to work out what level they're up based on their understanding of the material. And so, yes, you are the right, wrong. You're graded at a certain level. That's just how the world actually works. However, the, the psychology to bring the best out of a person is when the pressure is on to get things right, 
there's an incredible strain and stress which goes on a person's shoulders and they avoid trying to make mistakes, which as we know, you know, the, the whole work from Carol Dweck of the growth and the fixed mindset is about being easy on yourself and, and enjoying the challenge and allowing yourself to make mistakes with the understanding that the best version of me sits behind continual effort as opposed to skill, what I've currently got embedded. And so if I'm able to understand that I get best version of myself by being kind to myself, by allowing myself to try, it then allows me to try things and to get things wrong, but to grow from that. Yeah, I'm in an environment which is about right or wrong, get it done. And so if, if the psychology behind resilience moves beyond, come on, let's just work hard and get it done. Yes, we need that. But also, let's have the vulnerability, let's have the strength of character to admit where I'm not doing well, to get the support so that I can become the best version of myself. So in some ways, it's a bit of a paradox, but we've just got to understand the psychology of motivation, which is, yes, I need to strive for something, but I also need to um, support my brain and my body in a way that I can grow and evolve. And that's what we're looking at with resilience. It's the growth. It's the evolution of the individual. They become best version, and that may require some vulnerability. Yeah. And vulnerability, like you said, isn't about isn't about saying, oh, here's all the challenges I'm facing, but about being honest about what's going on. And sometimes life is really, really tough, and it's hard to 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 show up. Period. Let alone show up at work. And and so, what are some tools and strategies you would suggest that principals implement to help them to be more resilient? So I would again, when, and I want to define that resilience in terms of for a principal to be resilient. There's there's a couple of aspects to them, and I think we need to look at number one their self-management so that they have the sustainability because the reality is that a principal has a thankless job. You know, mm-hmm. there is so much that they do that that they will never be thanked for, never be acknowledged for. It's just the things that they have to do. And it's only often you hear from people when there's a complaint or a problem. Yep. And so there's a feeling of always being on the back foot. There are so many demands from different areas a principal has to be able to get their head across as well it's not just one area it's different layers of leadership different accountability there are so many things so a principal's mind never really switches off the emotional protection and the emotional responsibility for everyone never really stops and so it's there's a significant demand on their shoulders as well and there's also as i mentioned <clears throat> with that there's there's kind of no finish line as well, that you're never really done. You're always doing something in your weekend. So part of their resilience, this, and I'll, I'll define it in this moment as sustainability, their ability to sustain their output without burning themselves out and being best version comes to self-management, understanding that they have to be able to look after themselves. It's great that their heart's in the right place and they're helping others. But unless they're looking after themselves, what will happen is that the pressure will make them more edgy. It will affect their sleep. It will affect the way they make decisions. It will make them more reactive, more impulsive, less empathetic, less connected. And that's simply because pressure, like erosion, will wear you down if you're not adapting to it in a way that's sustainable. So a principal needs to recognize the importance of self-management. 
And uh, in the same way that we would encourage any of the, your educators and your students to look after themselves, they have to role model that as well. I want to share something that I am sponsoring, which is the Equity Awards. Transformative Principles proud to sponsor the inaugural Excellence and Equity Awards presented by the American Consortium for Equity in Education. This award program, designed to spotlight and celebrate high-impact work across K-12 education, features 27 different award categories covering all angles of equity. Ten categories for educators and support staff from every role in our schools, and 17 categories for companies and nonprofits. I'm sponsoring the leadership category, naturally. Educators of all roles and backgrounds, including school and district leaders, technology leadership, teachers, mental health professionals, librarians, and media specialists, and more, can self-nominate or nominate a colleague. All companies and nonprofits, including publishers and authors, can submit nominations as well. You can find all the information at ace-ed.org slash awards. That's ace-ed.org slash awards. Get your nominations in before June 30th. I want to go back to the idea of sustainability because as a principal, I never felt like my job was over. And all throughout the summer, all throughout the year, all throughout breaks, on the weekends, there was always something else that could be done. And it wasn't that I was striving for for perfectionism, but that I always felt like there was more that needed to happen. That, you know, a kid needed one more conversation or a teacher needed one more observation or whatever the case may be. There's always something there. And it's nearly impossible as a principal to leave your work at work when you go yeah. home. And so, yeah. so, so how do you manage that? How do you know when to say, I'm done and I'm going to stop here? Because that's a, a real challenge for a lot of principals. You, you know what the, the challenge yet throw really is? And, and I often have these conversations with people about, tell me, how do I manage the stress? How do I manage the pressure? What do I do? And they're asking I think they're asking for a technique. How do I switch off? How do I do that? But they're not asking for a technique, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I think if I asked any principal to counsel any of their leadership team, any of their teachers on how to manage their work-life balance a little better, they could provide wonderful advice. I think the majority know what to do. It's not a case of knowledge. It's a case of implementation. And the gap between knowledge and implementation in this case here comes down to permission. Yes. Whether they are prepared to give themselves permission to act on what they know. And there's a couple of things that need to give themselves permission to do. They actually need to give themselves permission to stop. And this comes down to a, it's a moral dilemma that exists within every principal's mind. Is it okay to do this? Is it okay, and I'll put it to you differently, is it okay to walk past someone in a train station who's begging Begging is the wrong, who's asking or who's got a sign out for money and not to give money. Is that okay? Is it okay to come back and give them food? Is it okay? What, what's the moral correctness around? Is it okay 
for me to have a jacket on if someone else is cold in the street, is that okay? And what the reason I bring is because it's it's a it's a moral dilemma in every principal's mind. Is it okay for me to stop? Because if I stop, does something fall apart? Does someone not get the attention they need? And so the first step into any type of self-management is working out in your mind, is, is it okay to stop? At what point do I give myself permission to stop? Does something have to break before I give myself permission to stop? Or can I see the signs and then do I give myself permission to stop? Or can I do it? Can I stop because I know that's what I need? And like, at what point? And so each individual principal needs to be self-aware about their permissions to themselves as to why they do or don't stop. There's also there's a there's another permission. Is it is it okay to not do it all? Is it okay to not just stop, but to to be imperfect? Can I let go? Can I give back to myself, even though I haven't done everything to help everyone else? Is that okay? Again, it's a moral dilemma, or you might say it's a work ethic, but it's kind of, it's more of a moral dilemma. Is it okay to give to me if I haven't given to you first? Um, is it okay to actually give to myself? Is that, is that okay? You know, is my job really about energy out rather than just energy in? And so all these moral dilemmas is what they have to face in order to really bridge that gap between knowledge and implementation. Yeah. I, I'm thinking about that in in regards to the the permission piece because the from what I've seen is that people don't think they have permission to do something uh, in in a vast array of areas, not just in education. So all over the place, people think they don't have permission to do all sorts of things. When really there's nobody telling them no, they've just thought that somebody is telling them no. And, and this is where bringing it back to principles, I think this is really important because if, so here's an example I've shared on the podcast many times. So regular listeners, I'm sorry to share this again, but my default stance was to not do anything from central office until they asked for it a third time. So I didn't do whatever report I needed to do or write up or whatever it was until they said, Hey, we've asked you twice already. We really need this thing. Because at that point, they were really serious and they actually needed it. And the first couple of years of my career, I had so many times where they would ask for something and then I would do all this work. I'd drop what I, whatever I was doing and work to fulfill what they requested. And they ended up saying, oh, we didn't need that. Never mind. We don't need that. We just thought we did, but now we don't. And, and I realized that that was not a good use of my time. And I, so I just gave myself permission to not do anything until the third time they asked. And this extended to uh, issues with students and with teachers also that I just didn't respond until they brought it up again. And in some cases, that was really the right choice to do because they didn't really need anything. In other cases, it was a bad thing to do. And I learned that pretty quickly where it was bad. And so I don't advocate that for anything. But the thing is, is once you realize nobody's nobody has to give you permission, that you take that permission yourself, it really changes the dynamic and makes you uh, more, much more comfortable in doing what needs to be done and ignoring what doesn't. Totally. And, and to add to that, Jeff, so is that at the foundation of how efficient or effective a, a principle can be 
around their permissions, but it's also around understanding the basis of their decisions. Why am I deciding to do this or not? Part of it is the permission I give to myself, but also part of it is who am I serving at the moment? Am I here to be of service to everyone else? Am I here to be of service to my priorities? Am I here to be of service to the board? Who, who am I here to be of service to? And therefore, if you work out how you're making your decisions and where your priorities lie, you can help to work out where you put energy and where you don't put energy. And the challenge with anyone in a principal role or any leadership role in a school is that we feel that there is a constant expectation. We are constantly meeting demands and it is difficult sometimes to decipher between the urgent and the important. Oh yeah, It's difficult to decipher because everything feels like a fire that we've got to rush to. It's constant energy out. And sometimes we've got to work out from a decision-making point of view, what level of priority does this sit? Who am I serving by doing this? Who am I serving at the moment by taking care of this? Is that because I don't want to leave anything unturned or because I actually need to do this? Who am I serving by not helping? If I actually don't help right now, could that be a better way of being of service? So it's the, the, the questions that a principal asks themselves before making decisions helps them get clarity around, number one, their permissions, but also around their priorities and how they manage their own personal resources. One of the underpinning things around high performance and the evolution of resilience and a term that I would say we've moved from being robust to being more pressure-proof in terms of malleability and best version is around a heightened self-awareness of, of how we make decisions, where we prioritize, where we put our attention, and again, the permissions that I give myself. That self-awareness drives our productivity so much more than blocking time. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So how would we then push this to our leadership teams, to assistant principals, and lead teachers that we're working with, how would we push this stuff out to them from the principal position? So right now we've, we've just been through a massive time of uncertainty and we've had, we've, you know, we've been work, you know, teaching from home, classes from home, we're back in school, but there's a lot of uncertainty as to how the world will actually look. And therefore people within themselves, they're feeling a little insecure. And when we feel insecure, uh, we can be more negative. We create more, this more negative undercurrents and we tend to kind of focus more on my own needs rather than everyone else's needs. And as a result of that, morale and culture can drop. And so what people, the reason I bring that up is because in terms of building a, a, a culture that has this high performance resilience woven into, we need to understand what's going to stop that from happening. What's the resistance? And the, the resistance now of uncertainty that's creating insecurity is one of the things that stops that. And so what people are needing right now is they're needing a sense of hope, a sense of direction, but we also need a sense of conviction that our leadership stand for something. They help us reunite as a group. They help us feel a sense of possibility of feeling back in control, that we are going to reestablish the, the bar of education, the standards or the expectations, that we stand up for something rather than just quiver and hope that it will all come together. But they need to see leadership step in. And there's a, a real important piece now around your conviction, what you stand for, what you believe, and helping the other leaders embody that their convic your conviction, but their conviction as well. What do they want to see? What change do they want to see? What do they want to stand for? Because ultimately, people are going to be motivated 
to turn up and lean in and switch off for their reasons, not yours. And so if they've got a reason to do it, if they are empowered, and I'll just sidestep that, that one of the difference of leadership between having a lead, having a team that I want to make them old style, resilient, robust, and tough is I motivate them, I drive them. But if we're now looking to evolve that term of resilience and move from being robust to being more pressure-proof, I need to empower them and inspire them. And I need to help them stand for something, not stand behind me, but to stand for something. And that's what they're really needing right now is to develop that. And as a leader, I need to empower them to do that. And this is a skill set that there's a big gap on how to do that um, with leaders. We're good at managing process. Um, we're less familiar with managing inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. And part of the reason why I think we're, we struggle with managing inspiration is that, one, we probably haven't been inspired very much. And two, we don't know how to connect what we want to happen with what is in the hearts of the people that we're working with. And, and this is, I think, one of the critical challenges that education is facing right now, because if we can't do that with the kids that we're working with, then how are we ever going to create the kind of future that we want to create? So, you know, we have kids who, and so I think esports, for example, is a good place to start here, that kids like to play video games, and it's an important thing for them that they can get really passionate about and that they can spend hours on. Even kids who can't sit still in class for five minutes can sit in front of a video game console and play for hours. So rather than saying, which we have for many years, video games are bad, you shouldn't do that, and you're not allowed to do them in school, we've now taken esports and made it a competitive practice within our school to provide a place for those kids to, to be inspired. And instead of saying, we think this thing is bad, we're now saying, we think this thing could be good and we'll try something with it. And I think that kind of an approach we need to take with a lot more things. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, and if you can visualize that as where a leader would stand next to an individual. Previously, the, vi- the vision of leadership is that I, as a leader, would stand at the front and I inspire you and I, I want you to come towards me and be as good as what I am, sort of thing. That's the mindset. Then the leadership kind of worked a little bit more in terms of partnership, how the two of us can work together. I want to empower you. So I'm kind of standing side by side. And I believe that the, the type of leadership that we need to see is the lead from behind type of process, is to learn how to inspire people to step up. To, so that, but, that the inspiration comes from them, that we need to be able to create a destination worth chasing so that they lean in. As you were saying, the eSports example is using tools or engagement tools that light them up, that get them involved, but they have to find that fire within themselves. So whether it be your, me, your middle or your senior leadership team, whether it be the students, People will do things for their own reasons, and if they are lit up by the possibilities, then they're more likely to lean in when circumstances are tough. Um, if you think about why, why superhero movies are so popular, I mean, apart from the great you know, special effects and all of mm. that, 
Why? Is because they offer hope that no matter what gets thrown at the world, you know, Spider-Man will turn up, Doctor Strange will be there, you know, Captain America will save the day. We have this hope that, uh, that there is ultimate good and ultimate that, that good will, will triumph over evil. It's that hope for the future. And leaders need to become experts at igniting hope, not by them motivating, because if they are the motivator, then what they're doing is they're just, they are the driving force, but by them learning how to become experts at inspiring and managing inspiration. Hmm. Yeah, that, that is so good. Definitely a, a powerful thought. My final question for you, Michael, is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? Focus on humanity first. Let's talk to the people first. Let's, let's forget about doing things that are correct and, and, and picking off boxes and that sort of thing. Let's focus on the humanity in the people, the humanity in yourself. What helps you as a leader become more alive, more happy, more passionate about what you do? What is it that allows you to do that? And what is it about within your team? What is the humanity in the team? that we need to get in touch with. The actual people, conversations with people, it's not about whether you're doing right or wrong, but just let people know that you've seen them, that you know them, and that we're connected. Because ultimately, with all this stuff, what will allow someone to step up and lean in and switch on is their feeling of that I like what I do. That's what it comes to. If you can like what you do, if you can do that, then I want to turn up. Even if it's hard and it's it's challenging and the odds are getting, if I like the challenge, if I like it, then I'll do it. And so you as a leader need to practice liking what you do, not forcefully, but looking at the humanity, what lights you up. And I think that's the first place you want to start. Yeah, I think that that's great advice. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for being here. Uh, if any of you would like to follow uh, Michael on Twitter, it is at Bounce Back Fast, and he talks about all kind of resilient stuff, and you get the rest of his information and contact info on there. Uh, once again, Michael, thank you for being part of Transformative Principle. Absolute pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.